You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Phantomaniacs, lots of stuff going on today. I'm super busy, but I'm going to try and get this intro done. I already recorded a version of this in the car, and it didn't sound good, and I'm not really happy with what I did, because it was 5 o'clock in the morning right after I'd gotten off work and I was tired, and I didn't have any business recording an introduction for a thing. Of course, I, I have only gotten three hours of sleep today and i don't know if i'm in a much better position but you know i'm up i had things that i had to do and uh i'm going to talk about those things now but first i want to tell you itunes and stitcher you can find the needless things podcast as well as on needlessthingssite.com if you somehow stumbled across this show on iTunes or whatever and don't realize that there is a related website, that is it, needlessthingssite.com. We talk about movies, music, toys, pop culture, wrestling, all kinds of good, fun dorkery that you're sure to like, unless you don't like that stuff, in which case you probably don't want to listen to this show either. So I'm up. Because I had to wake up to buy tickets to see Mark Marin, who is one of my heroes. He's a guy, he's one of my podcast heroes, and also has been just a comedy hero to me for years now. I first found him probably around the time of Short Attention Span Theater, or Half Hour Comedy Hour on MTV, or whatever. And he stuck with me, even though I didn't hear anything from him for years. His style I really, really liked. And he's just one of those guys that that always stayed with me, and I was thrilled to find him again a few years ago and, and in his podcast and how es- excellent it is. But he's coming to Atlanta, and I had to get up to buy my tickets this morning because you never know how fast those things might go. I didn't know if there would be assigned seats, and I would maybe need to get in there early to get better seats. It's not. It's at the Variety Playhouse, so it's just general admission uh, so I, I don't know if that's good or bad because I'd kind of like, I like having a, you know, this is where you go, go sit there, enjoy. Now we have to like get there early to get seats. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, I got my tickets and I'm thrilled. I'm going to have to take a day of vacation from work because my job doesn't let us do anything other than take vacation to get days off or call in sick. But I don't, I don't do that unless I'm sick. The other thing that's going on today is today is the first day of a horror convention that shall not be named. And it's petty and it's immature, but I'm not going to name this thing, even though I'm going to be at it all weekend. Because for three years in a row, they have denied me press coverage, which I think is silly. And it's for one of two reasons. One, they have very specific pals that they give press passes to, and that's it. I don't think that's the reason, though, because uh, years ago, my wife got us passes because she worked at a comic shop. And I don't see these guys just handing out passes to comic shops, but being real picky about their press passes. And I've given them great coverage every single year. I've done stuff leading up to the con. I've done pictures and and, uh, interviews and whatever else from the con. I've done a post-con wrap-up. I mean, I've really put a lot of time into covering them. And you know me. Well, some of you know me. Those of you who have listened to this show before or who have been to the website know me. I don't bullshit. I'm honest. I say what I think about things. And regardless of cost involved for me personally, 
I am going to tell you the truth about stuff. And it's possible, though, you know, I don't know how likely it is, but it's possible that these guys have been to needless things and don't care for some of the stuff I've said about their convention. But there is some non-flattering stuff to say about their convention, and, and that's just how it is. So anyway, I'm going to be there all weekend. Uh, I'm up early today, and tonight I'm going to go down there because I forgot to cancel our room in time, which is no good of me, but... I'm not used to doing that. We we thought we were going to have a sitter for both nights, and we don't, so it's just tomorrow night. But anyway, it's it'll be a good time because we mainly go down there and hang out with friends. Uh, the convention is no great shakes, but the the one great shake they've got this weekend is Angus Scrim. Uh, I'm finally going to get to meet him. I've got the guy tattooed on my arm, and I've got a figure that I'm going to have him sign, so that's exciting and awesome. And I'm stoked about that, and I'm stoked about hanging out with our friends and uh, the fact that Mrs. Troublemaker actually gets a night off tomorrow night. But by the time you hear this, all that will be done because I'm delaying actually posting this episode until Monday because I just don't have a time to, uh, the time to do all the production and everything else that goes into it. One, one of these episodes takes a total of of I would guess depending on the length of the actual recording time you're, we're talking about six hours of work probably just to do one episode and that's ridiculous but I enjoy doing it and I like that you guys like listening to it and if you want to tell me about liking listening to it or you want to suggest a topic or you want to be on the show if you do a thing and would like to come on and talk about it send an email to phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. I'll get back to you. I'm super, super busy at the beginning of this year here because, and I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last show or not, but usually I'll send out five or six inquiries in a month-ish time and hear back from one person about coming on the show. This time around, this at the beginning of the year, I sent out my five or six inquiries, and every single person I asked uh, agreed to be on the show. And I've had some scheduling difficulties, and and I'm right now I'm booking out to March and approaching into April with trying to book people because I've got a lot of really cool folks that I want to fit in, and it's it's that schedule is tough to work around my work schedule. So anyway, I think that's all the introductory stuff I've got for today. And man, am I excited to get to the main portion of today's show because it's something that's been in the works, that's been a desire of mine since before I was recording, uh, really since uh, Needless Things started as a website because all I want to do, well, not all I want to do, one of the big things I want to do is interview people that work at toy companies. Obviously, I do tons of toy reviews on Needless Things, and I want to go behind the scenes. I want to talk to the guys that make the toys and make the decisions and, and everything else because I think it's an exciting industry. I think it's one of the coolest, most exciting things you can do is is work with toys, making them and selling them and producing them. And I've been trying for five years now or however long, I guess, yeah, that's probably about right, uh, almost six actually. I've been trying for almost six years now to talk to somebody in the toy industry, and they, you know, I, I'm when you have a web presence like mine, it is not always easy to get your foot in the door. But thankfully, one of the people that responded to the emails I sent out at the beginning of the year was Christopher DiPatrillo from Figures Toy Company. If you don't know, Figures Toy Company has been around for uh, over 15 years now, making cool... A lot of nostalgia-oriented toys. Uh, Legends of Professional Wrestling back in 99 was one of their early licenses. And they did stuff like Killer Kowalski and Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, the, the old school guys. Old, old school guys. And they also did the first licensed Bela Lugosi figure. Bela Lugosi as Dracula. And that was really cool, and they're good with variants, and they're just a cool toy company that I've gotten to watch grow over the past, you know, 15 plus years of toy collecting. And now I get to talk to one of their guys, one of their big guys, and who knows what's up. So we talk about the history of the company. 
We talk about production. We talk about what they're doing now. They're doing Ring of Honor figures. Yeah, right. How awesome is that? So this is great. It's fantastic. It's a, This episode is literally a dream come true for me. Uh, and I, you can tell when I'm talking to Christopher how excited I am. And, and, uh, you know, how much I love Figures Toy Company, cause I do. They're, they're one of those sort of niche favorites of mine. So, uh, here we go. It's time to get on with the show, but first, it's time to talk music. That's right. We have another fantastic, uh, musical selection for this week. We have some friends of mine, actually, or a friend of mine. I don't know everybody in the band, but I do know Noah. Uh, Noah is in Kill Baby Kill, but years and years ago, he was in a different band at the same time that I was in a band. That's right, I was in a band. Uh, it wasn't a great band. There were some very talented people in that band. I was not one of them, and that was part of the reason we weren't great. But we were in a band, and Noah was one of the guys that did sort of some mentoring. He tried to give me some pointers and some advice, which I roundly ignored, much to my detriment. I, I very specifically remember after the first show that we played with Noah and his band, which our our bassist was also in that band, and that band was a very, very good band called Stuck at Zero. But Noah told me, he said, Look, man, the day of a show, don't smoke, because I used to smoke at the time, which is, I'm repulsed by smoking now, uh, but I, I quit uh, eight years ago now, but anyway, I smoked at the time. He said, don't smoke, and just drink tea all day. And of course, I didn't listen to that, because I was young and stupid, and granted, Noah was also young. He, I think he might be like a year older than me, if that, but uh, very wise for his years at the time full of smart advice and responsible living but uh, i was not i was i was a fool who was determined to vocalize in my own terrible way but anyway noah has a band called kill baby kill uh, if you go to reverb nation and look for kill baby kill you can find them there if you go to facebook and do the same thing you can find them there and check out their music i don't know how to describe this stuff it, it's it, it, its most simplistic description would be surf rock, but it, it's beyond surf rock. It's it's crazy, out of control, psycho, balls to the wall, horror, surf, sounds of massacre. Is that uh, that's not a genre? You're not going to find that in the Turtles record bin, I don't think. But anyway. I am very pleased that Noah agreed to be part of uh, Needless Things' new music program, and I am very, very pleased that you guys can now hear from Kill Baby Kill, Psycho Beach Party 3000. They all drown in lakes of blood. Now they will know why they are afraid of the dark. Now they will learn why they fear the night. Whatever, uh, whatever you need me to do, whatever you want to talk about. First of all, I, I want to thank you so much for for coming on. This is really great and exciting. I, I'm I, I've been after toy companies for a while now, and I'm thrilled mm -hmm. uh, that that I'm talking to you because Figures is a company that I've, I've kind of gotten to watch grow over the years. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm actually sitting here. With a couple of the legends of professional wrestling figures, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that was uh, that was actually kind of like our topic of conversation today on social media. Like, what would you like to see if a new Legends line were to come out? Oh, nice, nice. 
Yeah, I was actually poking around your site and saw a lot of the uh, Masters of the Universe reviews, and that's right up my alley. That's one of my favorite toy lines. Oh, very cool. Yeah, they've they've done some amazing things. <laughs> they've done some not amazing things, but mostly amazing things. I'm just um, amazed that they made so many of those figures of, like, the random cartoon people. Like, I wish I could collect that whole line, but financially, that would just break me if I did. Uh, yeah, it's it's a commitment, and it's definitely, like, it's a decision you've got to make because the way they're doing it with the subscription and everything – you, you, if the problem is they do so many and you can't really pick and choose because you don't know which ones you would be able to pick and choose. One of your favorite characters may end up selling out or, you know, whatever. So they, right. they, they definitely did some research on that one to, to sort of figure out what to do. But yeah, I, years and years ago, those legends of professional wrestling, you know, figure, how long have you been with the company? I've been there since 1999, so I've been there pretty much the oh, whole wow. duration of uh, the licensing and everything. Yeah, I've been there 16 years. Yeah, yeah, so definitely. You were, let's see, what were those 90s? Yeah, those were 99. That's right. So you were around when those were coming out. Yeah, I was responsible for a lot of them. I, I've kind of overseen a lot of the stuff that we've done because I got hired because I was a wrestling fan. I got hired right after high school. So, so I've literally grown and educated myself in the marketing and the toy industry with the company as we progressed. Oh, that's very cool. And that, see, that was such a genius line because you scooped up all of the old school guys that, you know, the WWF at the time wasn't really looking at, you know, they weren't pulling them into the legends program or anything. And that's, I've got Abdullah and King Kong Bundy sitting right in front of me here. Yep, and those are the first two. And you guys were so, uh, you know, variants are obviously a huge thing in any collector market. Mm -hmm. But you guys did such a good thing with the bloody variants. Especially for a guy like Abdullah or like someone like the Eddie Gilbert one, like the guys with that that Southern philosophy and, yes. you know, the bloodbath matches, like they just fit in perfectly. Well, and not only, you know, obviously putting the blood on Abby was a good move, but to put him in the white pants – uh, to contrast yep. it also. I mean, just, just a really fun line. What, what kind of went into that? I mean, how, how did that come about and, and how did you go about getting the likenesses and stuff for those guys? Uh, with the legends line, when I started, we had just done the Bundy. Um, the Bundy was the first one that came out. Uh, if you remember, it had different packaging than what the other ones wound up having. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was just kind of, okay, you know, the Bundy did really well. You know, the bloody variant, the regular one, this is something that we could pursue. Who could we do? Abda Abdullah seemed like a natural, especially with doing the uh, the bloody variant. So we looked at doing him. And at the time, we were doing kind of like one guy at a time, testing the water, see how it went. Uh, we would get, you know, eight by 10 headshots, likenesses, action shots, just anything we could get to kind of get that whole body image available. Um, because all of those were sculpted, you know, yeah. those went to a sculptor. This was before the whole real scan technology and 3D printing and all that stuff took over. Um, so those were pretty much, I, I guess you could say made from scratch. Um, and then as it went on and they gained popularity and like we were saying, excuse me. Uh, how WWF at the time didn't have any Legends lines. You know, that predated the Classics line by, you know, five years or so. Yeah, I think yeah. The Classics was 2003. So doing guys, and even to this day, there's never been another Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert figure. Um, you know, Ricky Steamboat, you know, there hadn't been a Ricky Steamboat since the LJN line. So it was getting those guys that were kind of at the forefront of people's minds, but weren't getting any play. They weren't getting promoted. They weren't in a toy line. They weren't you know, on the active roster, and that's all WWF cared about at the time. So it was really cool to develop those and just kind of, you know, I wouldn't say play favorites, but you get to kind of take a look back at the guys that we all liked, the guys that we grew up on, you know, old wrestling magazines were all around the office. We just kind of thumb through them. Hey, you know, we should try this guy. We should try this guy. And I honestly can't remember any legend turning it down. I don't remember anyone that we talked to not going along with it. Everyone was like super easy to deal with and that, you know, they would buy them wholesale, sell them at autograph shows. You know, this yeah. predates the whole uh, boom of the conventions and stuff. But I know uh, like Ox Baker, Ox Baker lived in New England. He would drive down to the warehouse and pick up, you know, boxes of them wholesale because he traveled to so many indie shows in the Northeast and he would just bring them and, you know, sell them at his merchandise table. So they were a big hit, not only with the collectors, but with the wrestlers themselves because, they were just glad that they were kind of getting, you know, that that merchandising push because it, it helped get their image back out there. It helped, you know, keep their popularity going and it helped them 
at the merchandise booth when they did shows. Well, and that's definitely a key aspect because I, I actually do ring announcing for a local company here uh, called Monstrosity Championship Wrestling. Okay. It's not straightforward wrestling. We paint guys up like Frankenstein and the Mummy and and whatever else and send them out in the ring. They're local indie guys, but we yep. we dress them up as monsters and they go wrestle. But we have every once in a while we've had guys uh show up at the shows and merch tables are for the older guys. I mean, that's they come out to the indie shows and even if they're not working the card, they show up with their merch tables because they've got name recognition, and that's that's an on that's like their business now is having merchandise. Yep. So that's that's very cool that that was that you guys were part of that. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and it predates the whole online sales. I mean, now you know everyone's selling everything. You can get a you know a t shirt of anything made, and you know there's so much that you can do out there. So just the fact that we kind of were at the forefront and you know kind of grew with it was really cool. It was a very cool experience because it wasn't as hands-on as it is, you know, these days. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that is another thing that that the toy industry as a whole was a whole lot different back then because you did have to to hunt things down. You did have to, you know, really maintain a different kind of awareness than just turning on your computer and seeing what was out. Mm-hmm. Which one thing that you guys do that a lot of companies don't is you've got your you maintain your own website uh, where you sell directly to the consumer, and you know when you go and check out the figures website, everything is there. It's not one of those things where you guys seem to have sort of a limited supply and then it's gone. I mean, you you can go and buy Batman sixty six figures right now. You can go and buy. Um, the Gilligan, well, the Gilligan's Island stuff, that's not out yet. That's pre-order, correct? That's pre-order, yep. Those, okay. will, those will be out shortly, yep. But Evil Knievel, Kiss, all the stuff you guys do is right there on the site, which is something I really like, that you you seem to be taking a bigger hand in the distribution of your product, I guess, than than some of the guys do. How how does that work out for you guys, like actually having the site and selling it yourself? How, how did How did that, how is that part of the business plan? Uh, basically, the way that we do everything is because it's basically the love and the passion that we have for it all. See, all those brands that you see us do, um, whether it's the wrestling, whether it's Kiss, Dallas, Dukes of Hazard, it's all stuff that we grew up on. It's all stuff that we're fans of. So to us, it's kind of cool because we're getting to develop, we're getting to make, we're getting to sell something that's based in our childhood or in our fandom. You know, the popularity sticks with us as much as it does with the fans. So that's kind of why we keep uh, an iron grip on it. You know, we do have some sites that'll buy wholesale, some stores that'll buy wholesale, Mm -hmm. but overall, you know, we want to manufacture and distribute because we want to be involved with the product as much as possible. And it's always been that way, you know, from the legends and the Elvira and the Dracula back in the day, all the way up to, uh, you know, a couple of years back, actually about 10 years back when we were doing married with children and I love Lucy, we've always kept a handle on everything because we know that the business would be good for us as much as it would be good for someone else. So it's not that we're not willing to share, you know, we do have wholesale partners, but overall we want to keep the involvement in there because it's kind of the whole, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. You don't want to have too much of this, too much of that, because then the line may or may not suffer. Keeping it in-house, keeping the manufacturing, the distribution, we get to keep a handle on it. We get to kind of gauge people's reactions a lot easier than just making it and selling it off and letting someone else worry about the retail end of it. We can kind of see, do we want to proceed with this? How do we, how do we want to develop this? Whether it's you know a new line, a spin-off line, a variant, entirely new license, it helps us keep a gauge on everything, engage the customer reaction, the consumer reaction, that's how I handle the whole, whole uh, social media thing. I check the Twitter. I check the Facebook. I check the Instagram. I read the replies. I reply whenever I can. Doing podcasts and interviews, we're trying to get as in-depth as possible because we want to feed off the fan reaction as well as our own reactions. We know what we like. We want to make sure that the public likes it just as much as we do. Sure, and and that the public likes the way that you're doing it. And exactly. That- and that's interesting, thinking about the website, that you guys really have almost a real-time sense of what people are liking and what people are buying, as opposed to shipping however many cases off to Toys R Us or Target or whatever. You you have your own sort of gauge right there selling it live as to what the lines are doing. 
Exactly. And when it comes to the website, when it comes to, uh, you know, keeping in contact with everybody, when it comes to the social media, when I say I don't stop working, uh, you know, my wife would get on here and tell you, I literally have my phone, you know, my email open, the web browser open. I'm constantly checking it. One, because I love my job. I, you know, I wouldn't be there 16 years if I didn't. Sure. But I keep a handle on everything because, when you see that first reaction from someone, when you see that first recommendation of something, I'm the kind of guy that likes an idea to click right away. Like I don't, I don't sit on things. I kind of get it out there and, you know, kind of brainstorm from there. I like to be open about it. You know, we have like, you know, public brainstorming sessions or via email or whatever the case may be. So checking the web, checking people's reactions, it's to get both the positive and the negative. You know, is there someone online tonight that doesn't like this? Do they have a concern? Do they want to talk to someone about it? You know, is there an email or people inquiring about what's coming out? And then just getting the flow of information from be it the factory or from the owner. You know, is there a new product image out? Do we know who's going to be in this line? And then we'll set up when we want to launch that information. And once the information's out, then I'll do the follow-up and I'll see – how people are reacting to it. Did they have a suggestion for someone else that should be in the line or another character to develop? So my brain is always constantly working on these lines, ways to promote us, ways to promote these lines and ways to keep the consumers happy. Uh, the Mego stuff has been a big success. Uh, we're getting back into the wrestling stuff very strong with the Ring of Honor product line coming out. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar. A lot of people know we did the WWE replica belts yes. for 14 years. Yes. You know, we did those for a long time. And, you know, that was something that we did those in-house and then, you know, we'd wholesale them to shop zone and they'd sell them on that site or they'd sell them at the live events, uh, with ring of honor coming through, we have a great relationship with them. But now instead of just being a simple licensed product where WWF had had so much stuff out before, it's really cool to be the first company to develop these products for ring of honor and start from scratch with them. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely a little more, um, I don't want to say rewarding because I love everything we do, but it's it's different from getting a Batman license or a Kiss license where you have an established line going out there. We're building up our brand simultaneously with Ring of Honor. You know, we're getting back into the wrestling merchandising and they've never had it. So we're kind of growing at the same time, but in different ways. And well, that's and really cool to see us evolve that way. That's got to be creatively rewarding too, because it, you, you know, with, with other licenses, there's probably a certain amount of, you know, here's what we have to work with. Here's how these things uh, not necessarily have to be done, but need to be done. Whereas with ring of honor, with your partnering with them, like you said, you're both growing and figuring this out. And there probably is a lot of opportunity for innovation and different ways of doing things that maybe wouldn't be present with a more established line that people have more expectation about. Exactly. Like something like, you know, the lines that we do from DC Comics or with Kiss, you know, these are brands that have been merchandised forever and a day. So they know what they like. They know what they want us to do. They know what they expect from us. And we know what to expect from ourselves as far as living up to that brand and living up to that namesake. With Ring of Honor, obviously, you know, it's 110% effort, but it's, you know, it's co-mingling with them. It's talking to them. It's coming up with the ideas. It's brainstorming with them. It's feeding off each other as opposed to getting a directive one way or another. Right. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a polar contrast to just simply obtaining a license, knowing what you can do and going from there. Whereas with Ring of Honor, you can sit and talk about it and say, we had this idea, but what about this idea? And just kind of let things grow organically. And the feedback to it, I mean, we haven't even made the official announcements for the series yet because we're going to build that up for a launch. Mm -hmm. But just to see some of the, the fan reaction, like the brainstorming of what the Series 1 roster or the Series 2 roster would be and the ideas for outfits. And, you know, we're going to be doing some throwbacks, some classic style ROH guys that we have the ability to do. So to hear the reaction of who should be in those uh, packages and those series, the throwback guys, there's a lot of positive reaction in the wrestling community to it. And they're going to be, you know, in the same style as the uh, the Jack's Ruthless Aggression, which is pretty much the, the most widely known set with the most variety. You had all the modern guys, you had all the classic guys. So they're going to be right in tune with all these massive collections that people have. It's not going to be where Mattel changed the body type or going to some other different type of mold. It's going to fit in perfectly with all these displays that people must have. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a massive collection of the old Jack stuff. And while I'm enjoying what Mattel is doing, uh, with theirs, those Jacks, uh, 
you know, different kind of collections are good for different things. I really like that when you look at the Jack stuff, they look like the wrestlers. You know, you know who they are. You recognize them, but there's a uniformity to them, and they look like toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they I have really, that larger than life appeal. Yes, exactly. And that's going back to the Masters of the Universe stuff. It's that same, like it's all the same body type. It's all like it's all a, a very singular toy line. When they're on the shelf together, it really presents a, a great look of a collection. Like I, I like that aesthetic a lot. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I, I like having that. You know, um, trying to think of the word that I'm looking for. Just kind of that that evenness to it. Like yeah, nothing yeah. nothing pops out in the wrong way. Everything's very uniform. Everything's very put together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that I think that's a good way to go. And it also, you know, realistically, when you're looking at something like Ring of Honor, you've got to keep costs in mind. And the more you can share certain things across figures, the better off you're going to be. And it's going to be better for the longevity of the line, too. Exactly. And that's something, you know, we have series one, uh, due out shortly. Um, all the announcements will be coming out about that. Series two is going to follow pretty closely. That's going to go into production. Um, we've got some guys in production already and we're going to round out that line. So that'll also be due out, um, probably I'd say third quarter this year, but we want to push it as far as we can go. There's a lot of talent out there that's untapped. These guys haven't been done. Whether you look at someone, like a Jay Briscoe and Adam Cole or a guy that's been there forever, like a, a Nigel McGuinness or a Steve Carino. You know, Nigel got the figure treatment in TNA when he was Desmond Wolf, but it looked nothing like the old Nigel that everyone remembers with the right. spiky hair. Right. You know, got the figure in the ECW line back in the day, but that doesn't fit in with anything. You know, the ECW line was closer to the Hasbro figures than a Jack's line. So to do these guys that have either never gotten the treatment or haven't gotten – I wouldn't say a fair treatment because it's always good when you've got something out there of yourself, but to get them in uniform, like we were saying, with all the other wrestling figures out there uh, would be really cool. Uh, and there's so many guys that come through Ring of Honor that have been through Ring of Honor. Um, talking with them, they always let us know who's available and who should kind of go where, like who fits in best with the sets. And it's been great developing the line with them. Um, everyone at their office that we talk with has been a big help. They're always just an email or a call away. And I think people are going to dig it because they are not only going to be the Jack style. Um, I did an interview a few months back where I mentioned how they would be similar to the uh, Mattel Elite figures. And a lot of people took that the wrong way, thinking, oh, it's going to be a Jack's Mattel hybrid body. Oh, it's going to be a Mattel line, but with Jack style weaponry. Mm-hmm. They are going to be Jack style bodies to keep that uniform. When I compare them to the Elite, it's because each figure is going to have a cloth t-shirt, a figure belt, accessories to go with it, accessories that make the guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if we were to do uh, a Jay Briscoe and Adam Cole, you know, we'd put a world title belt with them, uh, you know, a Briscoe t-shirt, you know, an ROH barricade, you know, things that make the brand stand out and, and make sense as opposed to, you know, back in the day, you'd get a John Cena figure that came with a kitchen sink and it didn't really right. flow with the character. We're trying to keep everything you know, as, as matchy matchy as we can, like let people know you're buying this figure. This is what you're used to seeing with this guy. This is what he represents. This is how he's going to be as a figure because that's how he is when you see him on television or at a live event. Well, and that's definitely one of the talents of, uh, figures toys is accessories because uh, all through the years, you guys haven't shied away from soft goods when they've been appropriate. You guys have always recognized I feel like you've always recognized the value of accessories. And right now I'm looking at this Batman classic TV, the set that you did that has the bat phone and the bust with the button in it and the two alternate heads. I mean, you guys seem to recognize that more than really any other company I can think of. How, how, how does that come into play? It goes back to us ourselves being collectors and growing up with this stuff. Um, when you talk about any toy line, uh, you know, we were talking about Masters of the Universe before, but if you get into the superheroes, the wrestling, no matter what it is, a lot of times companies will just throw the figure out there and, you know, it sinks or swim. And you've got, you know, the more modern figures out there now that are statuesque. They're kind of like posable. You put them on a desk, you put them on a shelf. 
but there's really not too much you can do with them. Yeah. When you look at a wrestling figure or a retro style figure, you know, these are things that people are reminiscing with. You know, people that are buying these Batman figures remember original Mego lines or they're huge comic book fans and they're used to seeing all these backdrops, all these accessories. They're used to seeing these things on TV shows. So if you're an older collector and I'm speaking from myself personally, it's less about buying an action figure, opening it up and just, you know, dropping it into a bin or, you know, letting your children play with it. It's kind of creating that scene. It's almost like artistic in a sense. You know, guys have their man caves or you might have a shelf or even people's desks at work. And you want to kind of have that scene, like that diorama where you can look at it and you can appreciate your collection and know that it is the way it is when you read that book, when you saw that show. And between doing the accessories for the specific lines or, you know, doing all of the uh, the Mego accessories that we have available for people that might do custom Migos or have old Migos that kind of fell apart a little bit, it helps to build that back up. It helps to keep those collections looking fresh. And there's so much you can do with it. You know, you buy those Batman accessories, you could do an entire, you know, comic strip online when, you know, people – use all these different, you know, avenues to promote these things or to showcase their collections. You could do comic strips online with your toys. You know, you could have that whole man cave area in your house set up to look like a bat cave with all this stuff. It's just something, you know, the attention to detail is something that we've always paid attention to because we know that a true collector is paying attention to that. So we're trying to feed off that because we know that, you know, Johnny customer is going to that store and if he's a true collector, if he's a true comic book reader, a true, you know, Batman 66 TV show fan, a wrestling fan, a Kiss fan, that detail is going to be what stands out because the older collectors that we gear to, that 18 to 34 market, they're going to be looking at something less to play with and more to cherish, I guess would be the best word. And, you know, whether it's the design of their house, the, their desk at work, their man cave, we want them to be able to set that up and showcase that and appreciate that and appreciate the work that we put into that so that when people come over and, you know, they'll take note of that. And not only will it help that collector, you know, feel good about their collection, that people enjoy it and appreciate it, but that might even lead to business for us. You know, if you go to someone's house or someone comes to your house and they notice that collection, you might think it's really cool the way it looks with the accessories as opposed to just seeing that figure in the store. That makes it pop a little bit. Yeah. So you might want to take a look at that and say, you know what? That Batman figure looked really cool, but seeing it with those accessories or seeing it in this outfit or this exclusive variant, and that's going to make you check it out even more. So it's always making things stand out. It's that little extra you know, 10%. Like I said, we put 110% in. That extra 10% goes a long way with any of our lines. Yeah, it, it really does. And I'll tell you one of the great examples of, of it being obvious that you guys are fans, are, coll- I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 38. So my first toys were world's greatest superheroes, the Migos. Uh, and I love the fact that you guys are doing the Migo reproductions. Now, now I say reproductions. Are these reproductions of the Migos? Are there little stylistic differences? Cause they have the oven mitts, which is key to me. But I see mm-hmm. there's there's another uh, the Batman with the removable mask, his uh, more glove like hands. What 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 is the the line there between them being reproductions and being something a little different? Uh, you know, we try to stay as true to the original Migos for the most part. Um, you know, some aesthetics might be slightly different, but you know, we do try to stay as true as we can be. Um, obviously, in a collector's market, you know, some people prefer the oven mitts. They prefer the old school. Some people want a little bit of an improvement. So it's a little bit of both. You know, we try to keep it as true as possible, but also I don't want, I don't want to say modernizing it because, you know, they have the whole retro feel. We don't want to make them seem too, uh, too new. Sure. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of walking that fine line. There's really no real rhyme or reason to it. Um, the Mego community has been extremely supportive of all the lines that we've been doing. And, you know, the reason that we do the Mego style is because we were all Mego fans. Um, you know, I, myself, I'm a little younger. I missed a lot of the Mego stuff when it was first released, but I got some of it on the secondary market. Um, as I talk to you, I'm standing in my uh, little man cave in my house and my most cherished possession, uh, in my collection, I collect a lot of incredible Hulk stuff and I still have my Mego Hulk with the tattered shirt and pants. And he's, you know, front and center oh, with my collection. Um, <laughs> That's you know, great. And, uh, 
Anthony, the owner of, of uh, Figure's Toy Company, uh, he was a big Mego fan as a kid, and that's what kickstarted the whole thing. Our offices, he had you know original Migos, custom Migos, all around his office, you know, like kind of on display in cases and whatnot. So that you know that dates back to us being fans of stuff. You know, he knew what those figures were all about because he collected all those figures. So he's the one that's always on top of the Mego stuff because. That's the stuff that he grew up with. That's the stuff that he did. And he wants to represent that just as how he remembers it from being a child, from growing up with it and collecting them all. Well, and I, I love just thinking about the evolution of, of how figures has handled the Mego st- style stuff, just the retro style stuff, because in 99, I guess it was, you were at the forefront of the Mego style figures. I mean, now, it's huge. Everybody's doing it. Naka's doing it. Diamond Select is doing it. Uh, there, there are lots of different people doing this style, but you guys were right there at the head over a decade ago, and you've got Three Stooges uh, figures that were done back then in that style. But mm-hmm. looking at the evolution, you've you've got the world's greatest superheroes. That when, when did you guys get a hold of that? Like, how did that come about? Because that's not just DC. It's also having that world's greatest superheroes on it. I mean, these are official. These these are, you know, to a certain extent, a continuation of what Mego did. How did that come about? Yeah, uh, we actually just officially trademarked the world's greatest heroes slogan. So you'll actually see the official trademarks popping up on all the future um, designs. It was just an, an, an evolution of everything. You know, back in 99, uh, things, you know, started on a smaller level. You know, we did that initial run of Three Stooges where we did, you know, the Mo, Larry, Curly, you know, we even did Curly Joe uh, at that time as well. Um, and then from there, we did the uh, the Mad Monster series. We also did a series called the Mad Clowns yes, um, that yes. came out at the same time. Um, I actually named all of the Mad Clowns. I'm the guy that came up with all their names. Ah, so that's that's, uh, that, that's my little pat on the back for that line. Um, and then from there, it was the evolution of... You know, the Brady Bunch, the, the Married with Children, the I Love Lucy, the Happy Days, all of those TV lines, the classic TV toys lines, as they were known. Um, it was just looking back at the nostalgia of, you know, the sitcom and, and the reality, not the reality TV, but the real life characters yeah. that could be portrayed as Migos. And then, you know, it tapered off for a little while as far as developing new lines. And it was just a matter of taking a look and saying, you know, the superheroes, there's really – you know, a great market for superhero figures out there, but you've got Diamond Select, you've got Marvel Legends, you know, you've got Hasbro doing the, uh, the G.I. Joe size, the three and three fourths inch Marvel Universe. All these different superhero licenses are taken up by a more modern thing. And even though the retro stuff is kind of coming back to the forefront, more people were geared towards those Diamond Select figures, towards those statuesque McFarlands and NECA style figures. So we took a look at all these lines that we did, and it was like, you know, we could fill a void here. We could get the superheroes done the retro style, and those are going to stand out because you've got all these companies competing for statue space. You know, they're they're more statuesque than anything. We could get these retro style, the Mego style, the doll style out and appeal to these guys these co-consumers who are still buying comic books, who are still getting figures, but they want them that way, that old school way. And once that Batman line hit, I mean, forget it. Between the Batman 66 and the world's greatest heroes versions, everyone loves the Batman line. I mean, not a day goes by where there's not a suggestion for this style of character, this outfit, this villain from the TV show. And just like we were talking about evolving organically with the Ring of Honor line, we want that to happen with all these superhero lines too. You know, we have the license for DC Comics. That's a literal entire universe that we could do, whether it's sticking with the retro, moving into something a little more modern, but keeping it with the retro feel. There's just so much variety. There's so much that we could do. Um, you know, besides Batman, you know, we have the Super Friends, you know, the, the Green Arrow figure has been a hit based on the TV show. You know, it's a retro style Green Arrow, but there's so many new Arrow fans because of that show that's on every Wednesday night. It's just a matter of kind of hitting the perfect timing, you know, hitting the target, you know, when you need to hit it. We got in there at the right time and it helped kickstart us really strong with that line. And there's been no looking back ever since. Well, and what what's so great about a license like that is 
One, it's that retro style, so you've got collectors who are going to just collect that whole line because of the aesthetic, because they like the way it looks on the shelf. But then you've also, you're also appealing to people who maybe only collect Green Arrow or only collect Aquaman or, or whatever the case may be. They're gonna want that Mego style figure as well. Exactly. Like that's like I mentioned my Hulk collection. Um, and obviously I know it's, it strays from us doing DC, but I collect only incredible Hulk Marvel merchandise. Um, I have, you know, whether it's the Mego style, the current style, the Marvel legend style statues, uh, you know, the, uh, the mini mugs, I have pretty much anything, you know, the movie figures. So like you said, you know, whether we're doing Batman and someone's collecting the entire Batman hero and villain universe, or we release more DC figures and you have that fan of Superman that grabs the Superman figure or the Arrow fan or whatever the case may be, you know, you have people that have those collections that are solidified because they're based on one character. And that's something that we can hit with so many people. I mean, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface of DC comics and we've already got so much product out there with all of these lines, the Batman and the world's greatest heroes. So to see that continue, we have the chance to manufacture, you know, a whole awesome array of DC stuff. I mean, I'm a comic fan myself. I've been reading comics since I was four years old. So there's so much out there that just, I want to see, let alone anyone else out there who's got some different taste or wants a little bit of variety in their collection. And I want to be sure and mention to anybody listening, uh, Two of the places that you can find stuff from Figures Toy Company, you go to figurestoycompany.com or pick up previews from your local comic book shop. And I think everything that you guys have have produced has been offered through previews. Yes. Yep. So, they, they, uh, they, they're, they're very good with promoting us. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's how a lot of the stuff I've seen, that's how I knew about the Batman 66. And I love... Uh, the decision that was made with those to have, you know, since you have the likenesses, you, you guys went with a, a more, slightly more realistic take on the figures. They've got the gloved hands, the boots are, uh, they've got the articulation at the ankle rather than being the big plastic pullover boot. Uh, you, you went a little different with those and I think it really worked to the benefit because it's being, you know, those are being compared to something on the screen. And it's funny because when I was a kid, Mego Batman and Robin to me were Adam West and Burt Ward because that mm-hmm. was my experience with Batman was the Batman 66 TV show. That's what I grew up with, uh, you know, in syndication and the reruns. But that's when I was playing, that's what was in my head. So to see these now with sporting the actual likenesses and the actual costumes and, you know, Joker with his little mustache and everything like these would have blown my mind when I was a kid. And, and quite frankly, they blow my mind now. I mean, the, this uh, you guys made a lot of really good decisions with this line, I feel like. And the likenesses, our sculptor, Danny, he does such an awesome job. Um, you know, the, the Joker, like you said, just those little details, you know, they find their way into it. And that goes back to the earlier in the conversation. That's what's going to make a figure stand out. I mean, yeah. if you go on any website, any forum, and any chat group, the detail is always either the, you know, the most positive reaction or the biggest complaint of any figure. You know, if you walk into a Toys R Us and you see, you know, the 56th version of Spider-Man and he's painted like a slightly lighter blue, some people are going to love that and some people are going to hate that because, you know, the blue should be darker in contrast with the red or it should look this style. So the fact that we're hitting the nail on the head with all of these lines is a credit to him too. You know, he does amazing work. He works on all of our lines and, you know, you're not going to be able to please everybody, but just to know that there's such a dedicated fan base to our lines, the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. And, and he's a big credit to that. He's a big part of that. Now, I definitely want to talk about the Three Stooges stuff because I think that's – there's probably a good bit of stuff you can't really say too much about yet because Toy Fair is right around the corner. And I'm sure you guys have some stuff you're you're kind of holding back for that. But the Stooges line is up for pre-order right now on the website. How, how long is, has that been continuous that you've had that license since the 99 stuff? Or is this sort of a relaunch of the Stooges for you guys? How does that work? Uh, it, it can be considered a relaunch or a reboot. Um, it definitely, I mean, I'm a Stooges fanatic and, and I love the fact that I was at the forefront of the original line. But, uh, you know, going back to, to Danny and the way that he designs these for us, these ones, you know, blow the originals out of the water. So okay. I would definitely call them a reboot. Um, and just the variety that we have of them, 
you know, we've got all those different lines coming out. We've got the, uh, the football uniforms from No Census, No Feeling, the Dizzy Doctors uniforms, uh, the golf uniforms from Three Little Beers, which were made famous in that golf with your friends poster that you can get in pretty much any, you know, hot topic or Newberry comics or, you know, collector style store. So it's just a matter of, you know, looking back at something that we did and kind of doing it better. Um, you know, the Stooges were popular back when we did them earlier, but who doesn't know, who doesn't love the three Stooges? So that's the license that just made sense. We had the experience there. We felt we could improve on it. There's that dedicated fan base that will never go away. I mean, you're talking about films that are almost a hundred years old now and they'll still crack me up every time I watch them. So it just made perfect business sense that if we were going to do a new line, a new retro Mego style line, the Stooges fit in perfectly to that. And we've done great improvements on that line. Um, we've got the, uh, the three sets with Curly. We've got the fueling around set with Shemp. And then we have the exclusive Shemp from the Brideless Groom short, which is another one of the most famous ones because that's one of the four shorts that fell into the public domain. So that's one of the ones that was seen on TV all the time or on a VHS or DVD compilation all the time because anyone could release it. So, you know, we knew exactly where to hit the audience with that one and feedback on that has been great. Uh, I myself have gone onto a couple of Three Stooges websites and nothing but love for the line and it hasn't even officially hit yet. It's all up for pre-order and people are raving about it. So I'm very proud of that line. And these these guys are due right around March. Are they all hitting at the same time? Uh, yes, they should all be hitting uh, at about the same time, um, probably within the next month. Um, we do expect them by March. They might get there a little earlier. Um, the safe play is March, but we might see them uh, at some point in February uh, if all goes well. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've got a set of the uh, three little beers on order for my dad for Father's Day because he's he's a huge golfer and a Stooges fanatic. So I was. I it's was, funny that you see that because my father's birthday is in March, and I'm going to be giving him a set for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's great. Yeah, I mean they they really look fantastic. And and one of the uh, going back to talking about you guys using soft goods appropriately. Uh, one of the big challenges at, at really any scale of figure smaller than one sixth scale or one six scale or smaller really is, is getting those soft goods, the clothing to look right, to drape right, to, to have the right, uh, you know, texture at that scale. You know, if somebody's wearing a tweed jacket, you can't just put tweed on an action figure and have it look right. It's gotta be, you know, small scale tweed. How, how, how does that planning work out for you guys? Uh, that's more on the factory end. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't see too much of that planning. I mean, we do determine what the uh, what the outfit's going to be. But as far as you know, making the aesthetic of the uniform, um, you know, we get them for approval. But that's more on the factory end, so I don't see too much of that. Uh, but they do an excellent job with the uniforms for everything. Um, you know, just recently, I've seen the T-shirts and everything for the Ring of Honor figures, and they just you know, it's it's very easy communication as far as you know the sizing and what needs to be done. Um, I myself have not seen anything that has not met approval. Um, I'm sure there have been various times through the years, you know, things that I might not have worked as closely on where there might've been, you know, some extra input needed. Uh, but that's more of a factory thing. And I don't see too much uh, on that end of it, just to be honest. Well, it's, it, it's one of the things that stands out with you guys because those, the decisions as far as, you know, how, because obviously in the eight inch Migo style line, that's critical. The, the outfits, the clothing, the uniforms, they have to look right. And just, you know, particularly these Stooges guys with, you know, it's, it's not, it's not tights. It's suits and vests and layers of material and, uh, and ties. I mean, they, they really, they really do look like they're supposed to look, which is, is very important when, as far as toys go. Cause even as a kid, you know, if I get an action figure that, there's there's looking how it's supposed to look, and then there's looking how it's supposed to look within the line. Like the Mego <laughs> stuff, you know, obviously the gloves aren't supposed to look like oven mitts, but within the line, that's what they look like. So right, it makes sense because that's what it was. That's what it's known as. That's what it was established as. Right. It's that it's that uniformity that we were talking about before, and you know, it's 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 all just the. It, it works together. I, I would I would be very interested in knowing how those choices are made because it always fascinates me. Because soft goods can be a disaster. Uh, if you you can ruin a figure with some soft goods, and Hasbro's done it with Star Wars figures multiple times. And I'm sure it's one of those things where you have the designers saying, 
you know, this is what this needs to look like. And then the factory kind of just does the best it can with that design. And maybe the end result's not great, but you guys, your end results seem to be pretty great most of the time. Right. And like you said, I mean, you know, they can be, and I don't mean this by our factory. I mean, in general, you know, if you've got a, a, a sloppy cut on a figure t-shirt or, you know, you could have uh you know, a t-shirt cut too big and it looks like a nightgown on the guy and it just ruins the whole, you know, the posability, the, you know, the putting it out there as part of a collection. So, you know, we do keep in mind, you know, how these things should look and we've been successful with it. Um, like I said, the factory is, you know, is just an email or a call away. Like they're extremely easy to deal with. So anytime anything like that pops up, it's always a quick fix. And like I said, I myself have not seen really too many situations where, uh, something hasn't met approval right away. I'm sure you've gotten this question, uh, very, very frequently with the Mego stuff, with the superhero stuff. I, I've got to imagine one of the big requests is vehicles and play sets. Is that something that you guys give any thought to? Does it, is it just sort of not, not anything you want to mess with or, or what's your stance on that? Oh, we've definitely, you know, heard the reactions, you know, people wanting a General Lee, wanting a Batmobile, you know, the things that would complement the lines. It's nothing that we've ever given a definite no to, but with so much going into all these figures and having so many series in the pipeline, be it, you know, the World's Greatest Heroes, the Batman 66, the Kiss, uh, the Ring of Honor now, the Three Stooges, um, anything else that we've got coming up. Right now, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But it's not something that we've ruled out completely. You know, we have listened to the fan base and we have taken a look at things that would complement the line past just the accessories that we discussed earlier. So it's kind of one of those never say never situations, but I wouldn't be able to give a definite answer as to when the time might be. Oh, sure, sure. And I, I would just because every time I, I look at my shelf of these guys, I just picture an old school, you know, the Mego playsets were just that clear vinyl over printed cardboard. And I just picture like a bat cave in that style or a, a, even a, a kiss concert stage, you know, that folds open or whatever that doubles as the carrying case and the play set, that kind of stuff. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those, you know, toy pipe dreams that you have. And I was just curious about that. Yeah. Uh, and we have those pipe dreams too. It's just stuff that we would, you know, <laughs> that's, that's how we wound up where we are. You know, it was all pipe dreams that we, we that we put into motion and became a reality. Uh, before we wrap it up, uh, I, I don't, know if there's a lot of detail you can get into about the ring of honor stuff you you've you pretty much laid it out there are there any names that you can mention yet as as far as who we're going to see definitely or is that all to be held for like an official announcement later on uh, we are holding everything for uh, an official announcement. Um, I know Jay Briscoe did a podcast and mentioned seeing um, early stages of development, so he kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit on that. I would <laughs> sure. say if that I won't say if that's definite, but uh, but he has mentioned that publicly, so I feel safe in saying that you know he's mentioned that he's seen things, so sure. you can at least know that he's in development for a set. Um, series one is completely confirmed and in produ- in production. Uh, there's going to be four figures to the set. Uh, series two is about halfway done. Uh, we're waiting for confirmation on uh, some of the stars for that one. We've got a few of them already set up for it and just waiting to finalize the official lineup. Um, but series two is uh, starting production, and then we'll finish production in the next couple of months. Um, we're going to be releasing a ring playset. Um, with official ROH uh, accessories. So you'll see like an ROH barricade and things like that with it. Um, we're also doing the Ring of Honor replica belts. So, you know, we did those with WWE for years and yeah. they'll have uh, belts as well as figures coming out. Um, but that's a line that's, uh, I-, I think it's really gonna knock it out of the park because I think there's a void in the wrestling figure market that needs to be filled. I think that Mattel is kind of relying heavily on, um, like the repaints and, and reissues and variants. Now, um, the TNA and Jack's presence is virtually non-existent and ring of honor as a brand themselves, not counting the merchandising is, you know, becoming more and more popular by the day. You know, you've got guys that are established there like the Briscoes and Adam Cole. And then you've got guys like AJ Styles and Alberto who, you know, jumped ship, so to speak, and are helping them establish the brand and, you know, are, are counted upon them as ring of honor stars now. So the timing is perfect for that because, you know, it's evolution for us and it's evolution for them. So as the interest grows in Ring of Honor, it kind of helps us and we help them with the interest by releasing the toy line. Well, and that's what I'm hoping is now that they've got Alberta, 
El Patron, I believe he is over there. Yep. For, formerly Alberto Del Rio. Uh, I really hope that he gets some momentum and brings that company some attention. And granted, you know, they're, they're on TV now. They've got TV. Uh, and it really, the casual fan may not necessarily be aware of them, but I think if you go any deeper than the casual fan, people know who Ring of Honor is and know what they do. And, and it's, it's exciting to think, you know, nobody's ever going to compete with WWE again. Uh, just they're, they're a global presence and there's no touching that. But I think there's room in the market for alternatives that can be successful, that can get a chunk of, of the viewers. Cause, you know, I, back in the day, I watched WCW and WWF. I, I didn't choose. Yep, yeah, I didn't choose one or the other. I watched both. And I think most fans, if you give them quality product, are going to watch what's put out there. And that Ring of Honor is, is definitely, you know, that's forever now. That's their thing is quality product. Yeah. I mean, Ring of, I mean, Ring of Honor, like I said, I mean, they've been tremendously easy to deal with, but I mean, as far as just coming from a fan perspective, they're, they're a group that I followed since their inception. And I still follow everything pretty heavily. It's not just work related. I'm still a fan completely. You know, I've been a wrestling fan since I was three and I'll be 35 this year. So I've, you know, pretty much covered all the bases federation wise, but you know, they've got, they've got a great product. And I mean, my wife who before we met, like kind of only knew casual wrestling names because of the attitude era is a legitimate ring of honor fan and will, you know, watch it willingly, like without me even being around. So just to see that going on in my own house is, is kind of cool. And I think (laughs) that, you know, you know, going back to, you know, more people wanting an alternative, um, and then just aiming for that collector's market because, you know, those people, um, I hate using the term internet fan because we live in such a modern technology age, but those people who are more diehards as far as the wrestling products go and look beyond just what's on television and, you know, go to YouTube and look for different matches or read up on things and, and read up on results or, or track people's careers. You know, maybe someone was a fan of AJ Styles and TNA and followed them to Ring of Honor now, but, you know, that's a market that, you know, that we can hit with these items because they're going to go beyond just your basic, you know, Mattel slap some paint on them, put them out action figure, you know, the detail, uh, you know, the t-shirts, the figure belts, the things that are going to go into it hits that collector's market, just like, you know, a Batman 66 or a three stooges figure. Well, and that stuff, I mean, that adds play value, those interactive accessories that, you know, you can do something with them, with the figure that that's a huge deal. I mean, it, it really is, uh, I, I want to hit one more thing that you actually covered yourself a little bit. I just want to make sure people caught it because it was one of my questions with the ring of honor line coming out. There's a lot of possibility to go deeper. And you'd mentioned that, uh, some, uh, maybe ring of honor classics. Is there a possibility that there could be sort of a companion line where we might see a new King Kong Bundy, a new Abdullah, the butcher, you know, as a companion line to your ring of honor line, or is that something just too far down the road? No, um, I, I did mention earlier that we had kind of brainstormed about that, and that was actually a topic on our social media today. Um, there has been no official word on uh, on if or when, but there has been brainstorming going on as far as gauging reaction, as far as maybe establishing a new style Legends line, uh, whether it be considered a reboot or something evolving, you know, past Legends. Um, because, you know, not only are there people to fill in that void that were never released in a classic set or in a legend style line, but then you've also got people that are uh, on the scene. Um, I wouldn't want to necessarily call them indie guys, but established talents that were never merchandised yeah, in that yeah, way. Yeah. So, you know, you could look at doing a line where, Hey, you know, there's a, an, an RA, you know, version of RA style Eddie Gilbert, you know, kind of, you know, redoing an Eddie Gilbert figure. Or maybe you look at someone like, you know, the Young Bucks or Chris Hero, names that are out there that have wrestled for these companies. You know, guys like that are the perfect complement to the ROH line. So, you know, these are all things that we've kind of brainstormed about. Um, no official word on if or when it'll happen, but there have definitely been discussions about evolving um, into another, you know, legend style wrestling line. That's awesome. That's great news to hear. Well, I think that covers just about everything uh, we want to talk about. Is there anything specific you wanted to hit on before we wrap up? 
Uh, you mentioned uh, the Figures Toy Company website, um, so figurestoycompany.com. Uh, WrestlingSuperstore.com is for the wrestling merchandise. Uh, the Ring of Honor merchandise will be available directly through there. We do already have the uh, championship replica rings. I'm not sure if you've seen those. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, we've actually got a, a couple of videos up on social media as well. Uh, Ring of Honor put them up too. There's a commercial with uh, Maria and Mike Bennett, and there's a commercial uh, kind of like a little mini angle storyline that the Briscoes filmed for us, uh, kind of feuding over the rings. Uh, they did some pretty entertaining videos for us, so we have them advertising those. Um, we are on Instagram, Figures Toy Company and Wrestling Superstore. Uh, we are on Twitter, Figures Toy Co. and Res uh, underscore Superstore. So you can find us on all forms of social media. Um, I mentioned that you know I stay on top of it. Usually most of the responses uh, or most of the topics will come from me. So if anyone listening, any fans uh, have any questions, they can reach out, you know, in a private message or they can reply or just leave a comment. I'm always happy to engage in discussion. And uh, I'm just glad that we have so many fans of these lines. And I hope that we keep knocking it out of the park for everybody because it's really cool to be a part of this. You know, I've spent a good chunk of my life doing this and uh, I'm not slowing down anytime soon. So it's just really cool to get the feedback and to kind of be at the forefront and talk to people and see the reactions. Well, even before talking to you, man, I mean, you can just look at the toy lines and recognize the enthusiasm that you guys have for this stuff. Uh, but this, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time to talk about what you do. I appreciate it. Anytime you want to talk, let me know and I'll be happy to join you and have another chat with you. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you. Awesome. Seriously, let me encourage you guys to go to figurestoycompany.com. They have everything they make there is is up. It's available for sale. It's standard MSRP, but just go check them out. Uh, find some stuff you think is cool and check them out. These are great, great toys. I mean, especially the Batman 66 line. Uh, it's really amazing stuff. And, and I didn't say this during the interview because I don't want to get into a thing where, you know, one guy's going to talk too much about somebody else's toy line. Although I will say it was some interesting comparisons with uh, what Figures is doing and what Mattel does. Uh, that was kind of neat, but uh, their Batman stuff blows away. Uh, that's just fact. Uh, Mattel offering, you know, I, don't get me wrong. In a vacuum, their figures look great. But when you compare them to other things on the market, when you compare the prices to other things, uh, and even that Batmobile, to me, was a huge disappointment. Uh, just me talking. That's my opinion. Uh, but anyway, that was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope to get more interviews with more toy companies as the year goes on. Uh, believe me when I tell you that I'm going after that. And of course, be sure to check out NeedlessThingsSite.com where we review toys and movies and comics and music and wrestling and everything else all year long. iTunes and Stitcher for the podcast where you can stream it directly from NeedlessThingsSite.com. Speaking of Batman 66, next week, none other than Howdy Mike Gordon will be joining me to talk about one of the most incredible and certainly one of the most fun television shows ever produced, The Adam West Batman. Love you guys.